again and welcome to episode 5 of Film Club. I'm Adam. I'm Bex. And this week we are tackling uh, Animal, the hey. Animal Kingdom. What was the actual category? The actual category, I believe the wording was, features a pet in a pivotal role. Yeah. There's a lot of conditions there. It can't just be an animal, it has to be a pet. And it can't just have been like a fun cameo, it has to be in a pivotal role. Yeah, yeah. Which I actually think is quite, a tr- it kind of narrows it down quite a lot in terms of... Um, it can't just be a film about animals or it can't yeah. just have an animal in it. Because uh, I genuinely did consider Snakes on a Plane, which, uh, is, which, is, which is wacky for me. because And you've never seen it, have you? Never seen it. I hate Snakes. And I actually worked on the soundtrack back in the day a oh. little bit in a small capacity. We've all got our burdens to bear, babe. But, but tragically for you, them snakes are not pets. They are not They're pets. They're nobody's pet. And I watched the trailer for it, and just the trailer it was enough to make me go, no, absolutely not, that's not for me, no, thank you very much, goodbye, Sam Jackson. Not big can... on snakes, are you, really? I really hate, there's like a recurring nightmare for me, is like walking through our living room and snakes just jump out from underneath the sofas and butt my feet. Uh-huh. And that's what happens on Snakes on a Plane. Do you think you're, I oh, know, I've seen it. I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much for anyone, but at one point, somebody goes to use the airplane toilet and they get bitten by a snake on the dick. If that's not a ringing endorsement to go and see snakes on a plane, I don't know what is. Do you it's, think you'll ever watch it? Uh, no, I really don't. Okay. I, can't, it would, it would, I think it would stay with me, like arachnophobia stays with me for my whole life. Mm-hmm. I think I watched arachnophobia when I was uh, like... like Thirteen or something, and I still think about that film when I'm when I whenever I turn a lamp on, that's like a, a high lamp with like a cord or something. I imagine there's a spider in there. We've discovered from previous episodes that your hallmark, your teenage hallmark, was watching films too soon. Jurassic Park being another prime example that we've already talked about. Yeah, do you know what? I think it's the curse of being the youngest child because you just sort of get dragged into all these situations with your brother and sister who are more emotionally capable to, to to watch those kinds of films. So I used to I think I did watch a lot of films too young because they all they wanted to watch it. Yeah. Uh, it's the same with The Exorcist. I saw that too young. Oh I see I watched that really young and my mum's friend, who shall remain nameless, was so petrified by it when she saw it, like back when it came out, that there was a very drawn out debate about whether or not I was allowed to buy it on D V D and watch it or not. Um what? Yeah, I mean, I did anyway. What, with your folks? Yeah, I always knew I was going to watch it, and I watched it, because it was a DVD, the only DVD player we had was on our computer, so I sat in a little wicker chair in the computer room, and I watched The Exorcist on my own, and it was absolutely fine. (laughs) How did that debate go with your parents? Uh, I can't really remember, it was a long time, I mean, I think it was on DVD in like, the year, in like 2000 or something, so... Uh, Oh, so you were quite old. I was 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 old enough to see The Exorcist, I think, Yeah, 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 it was fine. I watched it when I was quite young actually not with my brother and sister it was at like a, like a house party with, with all my mates and everyone was watching it and I was like yeah I'll watch this and then as soon as the bed started shaking I was like mm, nah I'm just gonna go make a cup of tea oh, <laughs> and yeah. I like discreetly left the room <laughs> and uh, that really stayed with me but then I watched that when I was like a student or something and it's not that scary no I mean, the effects have dated poorly I guess as well Start opening a film sort of in the the first sort of fifteen minutes where a child pisses on the floor. I mean that's bold as a as a filmmaker, um, and it kind of made me laugh more than scared as a grown up, which yeah. is funny considering how kind of um, uh, what a kind of it was quite quite a landmark film, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. So we've strayed quite far from the Sorry, path. Sorry, yeah. We um, have. Features a pet in a pivotal role. I think you're you're right in that it really 
narrows down the choices. Mm. Well, it probably doesn't. There's probably still hundreds of films, but you know what I mean? Like amongst amongst sort of recent forgotten blockbusters and kind of the sort of films that we tend to talk about, there aren't a huge amount. There are hundreds of, of not very good films and there are hundreds, mm. of, hundreds of kids' films. Oh, and a lot of straight-to-DVD films in this, in this area of films about pets. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the easiest option to choose from would have been extremely saccharine family drama about puppies or whatever you know like a marley and me kind of situation well you have to talk about marley and me because that's probably like the most obvious well you're gonna have to talk about it because i don't think i've ever seen it nor do i have any real interest in it i wish i'd picked it now just that i i didn't i I obviously thought about it because it is probably the most recent um film about a pet that has that everyone kind of recognizes Mm -hmm. um plus if you watch it i i mean you probably won't cry because you're a double r bastard but I think 99% of people cry in that uh-huh. film. Like, it is a tearjerker. Do you not think that you've just got a low threshold for for crying about dogs, which we'll probably come on to a little bit later on That's in hurtful. the episode? That's very hurtful. But no, I think I think anyone who had a family dog when they were younger, mm-hmm. uh, Marley and me taps into that. Because in- in- inevitably, if you had a family dog and you're in your 30s now, the dog is dead. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. And but you your can, dog is dead. And Molly and me really relates to that, I think. Yeah. In that anyone who had to put a dog down. And like we had we had to put our dog down when we were kids and stuff and it was really, really sad. And I think that's why Molly and me will really stays with like that's why it will always make you cry because it just makes you think about that but you never had a dog i'm so... much more of a cat person you and hate dogs. i well what well, i mean we'll come on to it i think when we talk about your choice but there are there are a lot of attributes about a lot of dogs that i'm not a fan of mm. and i would say possibly your film choice sums up most if not all of them i was gonna say it when we watched it but basically my film choice is everything you hate about dogs yeah we'll yeah. get onto it we'll get onto it um but yeah because it's narrowed down the field so much but it had to have a pet in a pivotal role. This is the first week where I think I only had one other option that I would oh. have picked. And that would have been, for pure fun value, Cats and Dogs with Jeff Goldblum. I don't think I've seen that. Have you? It's the one where cats and dogs are basically on opposite sides. The cats are the bad guys, the dogs are the good guys, and you can hear all their voices. Oh, but it is I have real. Seen that. But they they film it with real animals. It's not like it's not CGI. It's like a Mars Attack situation. Yeah, and it's very very silly. And it's um, Jeff Goldblum is like a kind of scientist that doesn't spend enough time with his son in it, as far as I can remember. And it's just it's an absolute high camp Saturday afternoon oh, kids caper. But lovely. the injection of Goldblum. And the kind of the fun, the concept of like it's cats versus dogs and they can, you can hear them all speak. Uh-huh. It's a lot of fun. As yeah. those kind of films go, it's a lot of fun. So I did think about that. Cats are absolute villains as well, aren't they? <laughs> they're such fuckers. Yeah. In film, they certainly, they're often portrayed as the villains yeah. and dogs are usually the good guys. I think that's more of, that's just a campaign against cats. That's unfair. <laughs> just because they're independent, just because they want to hang around with you all the time, just because they're better than all you right, are. let's not get into this doesn't make them villains. situation. I thought about doing Homeward Bound. Oh, that's a good which shout. Which was a family classic when we were growing up and I think it always cracked me up. Like, um, Michael J. Fox was the voice of Chance, who mm-hmm. was like the idiot dog. And then there was an older dog called Shadow who was a bit of a, you know, he was quite high and mighty and like an old man. Mm-hmm. He had an old man voice. And then there was a hilarious cat called Sassy who does remind me of our cat Lynn because mm-hmm. um, she's like 
really prim and proper and her the the woman who does her voiceover is just is is quite funny um and i so i did think about doing that because we watched it i watched it quite a lot when i was a kid and i think because i was one of three so you could always imagine yourself as one of the animals okay yeah guess which animal i would have been oh well the youngest one presumably yeah all right that's boring isn't it um did any of the beethoven films ever cross your mind no you're not a big fan of them I didn't really watch them when they came out because, again, not really a dog person. But they they are they're a go to. I think if you're looking at pets in a pivotal role in movies. Wait, so because you're not a dog person, you wouldn't watch a, do- a film about a dog? Well, I think you'll find that both of the films we did pick feature dogs, so know, that's not true. But in life, no, I wouldn't like avoid a film. But I also probably, if I've got a choice of movies, I wouldn't pay to see the one that is absolutely dominated by dogs okay i'd rather see one that's dominated by plot (laughs) and often the two things don't mix very well other films i thought about was um fly away home which is uh, Mm -hmm. stars a young anna paquin and she rescues a bunch of geese eggs and then becomes their mother and then has to fly them home Mm -hmm. a very pretty very nice little film sunday afternoon film classic uh, any others that you'd considered? Uh, I thought about the truth about cats and dogs as well, which is a bit more grown up. Um, Uma Thurman's in that. That's quite. That's in, I think it's in the nineties or early two thousands. And I also thought about Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Oh yes, you did. Um, just for the. I mean, I don't think I've seen it for a really long time. I can barely remember the plot, but I think it, yeah, Dolphin gets kidnapped, mm-hmm. and it's like peak Carrie, right? Yeah. And and Jim Carrey at that time, like that and the mask and stuff was, it taps into every silly funny voice really it's physical. kind of it's sort of an era of, of Jim Carrey that I like to call pre-restraint because there came mm. a point where he sort of tempered his outbursts if you like his mm-hmm. acting outbursts a little bit and became a bit not a muted character but if you think of like the Truman show and things yeah. like that he kind of he kind of f- fenced it in a bit and and with with Ace Ventura and the mask and things like that it's just absolutely unrestrained, isn't it? Yeah, it's like Jape after Jape after Jape. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Truman Show, you kind of get the feeling he's actually having to act and do some thinking behind it. Whereas Ace Ventura, it feels like his his natural comfort zone. I imagine a bit when they're doing Ace Ventura that there is no take he could do that would be too wild. It would always just yeah. be the biggest take got used kind yeah. of thing. There is a scene in that which I, as a child, did have nightmares about. It's the bit where there's a like a tank with a shark in it, and he falls in, and the shark like drags his body around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he like so slapstick though. They're throwing him all over the place. Also, absolute Friends series one. Courtney Cox in that. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I forgot she was in that. You can tell by a haircut what series it was. So mm. yeah, I think it came out just before Friends started, or right. in the same year that Friends came out. That's so. a big gift to be Courtney Cox. I know. Um, so should we get on to the films that we did choose? Yes. Do you want to go for yours first or mine first? Let's do yours first. Okay, uh, we watched mine first. I again, just to be contrary, <laughs> tried to find tried to find a film that had a pet in a pivotal role that was about well, relatively far from sentimentality. I would say it's a little bit sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 2007's I Am Legend, starring Will Smith. Uh, and directed by Francis Lawrence. Um, so, I've something's just occurred to me, and I might have to fact check this. Is there a light bulb? <laughs> Francis Lawrence, I looked up what else he directed. He directed Red Sparrow, he directed three Hunger Games films, he's called Francis Lawrence. Is he a relation of Jennifer Lawrence? Would make sense, possibly. Oh, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence comes from a filmmaking family. Okay, fair enough. Well, we'll, we'll fact check it and put it on the social medias if, yeah. if it turns out to be true. But he has directed a lot of other interesting stuff. Uh, so he did three Hunger Games films. Um, he's done about 100 music videos, including Beyonce's Run the World Girls music video. He Ooh. did that amongst 
he did Avril Lavigne, he did OK Go, loads and loads and loads of them. But this was, according to IMDb, this is only his second feature film after Constantine, which is a comic book adaptation with Keanu Reeves, Reeves. Yeah, which, was, which was good and very kind of dark and weird. And I think he brought a lot of it to I Am Legend. Mm. Um, so I Am Legend, the basic plot for those people that haven't seen it, years after a plague kills most of humanity and transforms the rest into monsters, the sole survivor in New York City struggles valiantly to find a cure in this post-apocalyptic action thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely really like this film. Me too. And you know what? How, how old is it? 2007? Yeah. Man, it's still good, isn't it? Like It still, still gets me going. Yeah. And... We've looked at films that have been similar to this, and there were a lot of films that were similar to this, you know, zombie films, I guess, in general, things that came afterwards, like World War Z, mm. kind of widescreen, cinematic... Post-apocalyptic. Yeah, post-apocalyptic. I, I, I guess you could describe this as a zombie film, but I think that's doing it a bit of a, an yeah. injustice. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, the, the, I, I think, personally, this is, one, this is Will Smith's finest hour. If we ever did a Will Smith's finest hour category, I would pick this, I looked actually. back down his IMDb listings and I struggle to find a better film that yeah. he's been in. There's, there's a few that are kind of tonally very different, like sort of more kind of family dramas and like moral... Yeah, the robot one. Oh, the iRobot robot. came before this. I, I think this is much better than iRobot. I totally agree. Um, I guess people could argue that something like The Pursuit of Happiness is very oh, different. Oh, yeah, that's good. so sad. But, I mean, this is probably my favourite Will Smith film. I oh, imagine. The Pursuit of Happiness is really good. And the um, the one... What's the other one after he, he did where he was going to die... He killed himself with a jellyfish in the bathtub. No idea. Oh. I genuinely don't know. Is that... 20 is pounds. That, 20, is that, it's is like, that not just another dream you've had? No. <laughs> that's a real film. Okay. And the other one where he does, he does like, good deeds for people... Oh, oh. Um, I can't remember. Okay. That is a film. Okay, yeah. It is a film, <laughs> I believe you. Um, in terms of where this film falls, it was made... Oh, it was released after The Pursuit of Happiness and directly before Hancock. So you could also see this as something mm. of a turning point for Will Smith from films that did well and people liked mm. into films that did not do so well and people did not like, which yeah. unfortunately I think is the majority of recent Will Smith films yeah he, he sometimes he gets it really right and other times he just doesn't and I don't really know why because he's a really he's a really competent actor he's really well rounded he does everything I think and, yeah and I think yeah Pursuit of Happiness is a really good um, it's a really good example I'm going to look the name of that other film up because okay. I can't believe I'll just keep talking it. Um, so this film had quite a long gestation period Warner Brothers Pictures according to IMDB owned the rights to the book since the 70s oh, it's a book uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a book that's m- kind of more based around vampire uh, mythology. Oh. And the end of the... F- we watched the alternate version of I Am Legend. We've obviously seen both, but most recently we watched the alternate version, which the ending of which is much truer to the book. And I think a better ending, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, Charlton Heston was originally going to star in this film back in 1971. Uh, then Ridley Scott was going to make it with Arnie. Uh, in the lead role which fell through because the production went over budget then in 2002 Michael Bay was set to direct Will Smith but they decided to make Bad Boys 2 instead so this is like a film this is like 25-30 years in the making this film I mean Bad Boys 2 is a great film so let's just get that out there sure as is Bad Boys 1 yeah I haven't seen Bad Boys 3 but probably will yeah fair have you found the name of that film? Yeah, it's Seven Pound. Oh, okay. I've never seen Seven it. Seven Pounds. Right. Um, you've never seen that? That's, I mean, that's a super sad film too. Now I know there's a jellyfish suicide in it. I will have to watch it, obviously. <laughs> that is a hella spoiler. Okay. That yeah. happens right at the very end. Well, you've absolutely ruined it for me yeah, then. Okay. 
doesn't know what it's about. Anyway, let's get back onto to I'm Legend. Sorry. I quite like to skip straight to the end. Spoiler alerts coming up. Because we, as I said, we watched the alternate version where, in fact, it's much more, it's much closer to the book. And I think it's a more interesting message. Have you read the book? No. Oh, you're talking just, like you have. Well, no, I just know that the ending's close to the book. Oh, okay. Because I've done my research. Sorry. Um, so... So yeah, at the end of this, he's basically, he's been trying trying in vain to find a cure. He feels like he's almost there. But it turns out in the end that he if it, he has to recognise that the kind of the night people, the zombies of this piece, yeah. are actually just, you know, another race, another evolution, another mutation with rights and feelings like human beings and that ultimately they have to kind of coexist alongside each other. Mm. The alternate ending really does do that. But the other ending, I don't, the, the mainstream ending doesn't The other doesn't ending, he just, that. he blows himself and them up with a grenade doesn't he yeah. so that, so that the, the the woman and the kid can get away yeah whereas this is way more human and like you say it, it opens up a whole kind of other other door of what this film's actually about and i didn't even know i didn't know there was book and i didn't know i didn't know there was an also ending until we watched this last night yeah so, um and don't you think it's just much more interesting than it being another film where some where something's taken over the human population and a man is trying to kill them all. It's definitely more interesting. So the alternate ending for anyone who doesn't know it is that um, the bit at the end where they're in like the glass uh, lab with the with the specimen, the kind of human candidate that he's cured. Um, the guy, the the main baddie, Nightwalker zombie man, he comes and he smashes down the glass with his head, and Will Smith. Um, recognizes that he's after the woman like she's his mate because he draws a, a butterfly the 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 night the night creature draws a butterfly in blood and then will smith remembers that she's got a butterfly it. tattoo now the scene where will smith find out she's got a butterfly tattoo isn't even in the other yeah, version that's yeah. that's an entirely kind of yeah. separate plot line and then eventually then um so then everyone kind of like calms down the the bit the main baddie sort of says, got like signals to everyone to not attack him he opens the door, pushes the woman out, brings her back to like resuscitates her and takes that uh, makes her out of sedation, and then the guy the the, the night walkers just leave, and then Will Smith is fine. He's left alive, and he drives away with with the woman and the kid. And it flips it flips the whole film preceding film on its head a bit for me because if you if you go back to everything that you've seen in I Am Legend, it effectively starts with Will Smith hunting them yeah you know he is he's the predator they're the prey i mean we, we know you know they set it up throughout the film that he's kind of trying to protect himself and save humanity and that makes sense but when you look back at kind of who's wronged who in what order he's always started it yeah um and he claims that they you know they they've been going around killing people hunting yeah. but there's no proof of that no true you never see them eat or kill or murder anyone do you yes yeah. so it's it's possible, I suppose, that the the virus um, that was oh it was cooked up as a cure for cancer by uh, Emma Thompson's character in the opening credits, but it turns out it mutated and then it caused this this kind of evo- and... yeah kind of evolutionary jump, I suppose, yeah. even if it's a jump sideways. Um, and yeah, I mean, from that point on, you're you're led to believe because we're all humans watching this film that Will Smith's doing the right thing, but ultimately yeah. he has to accept that perhaps he's been he's been in the wrong. Yeah, well. another another scene that wasn't in the uh, the other the other version, the original version, is um, so when he hits his head and and the big scene happens where mm-hmm. he gets trapped and mm-hmm. he's up in the air. So they actually return to that, and he's like, "This is my snare," and this guy, you know, it, it kind of proves that these night 
seekers have more human and more intellect and more kind of the, more more thinking yeah. than, than he thought. Well, they caught him, didn't they, with with a version of his own trap? Yeah, yeah. Like, which actually in the original, no one really questions because that's a pretty sophisticated trap for yeah. someone that that in the couple of scenes before he Will Smith is saying to kind of his video diary all human instinct or human kind yeah. of um, socialisation stuff is com- now completely devoid. In both versions of the film, he's wrong and he's underestimated them, but it's just in the original version, to kind of tie it up in a Hollywood-ish ending, they just don't make anything of it. They don't yeah. really progress that point very much. No, but, so I think it's actually really worth watching the alternate. I think it's yeah. better, actually. Well, And also, it makes more sense of the kind of slightly mawkish bit where he's discovered by, by a woman and her child about two-thirds of the way through the film and he's trying to educate them about the, the message of Bob Marley's music, mm. which is a bit of a cheeseball moment. But it seems like the point he's trying to make is that you know ultimately everybody has to get on and you inject he's you know saying that Bob Marley's philosophy is you inject love and music and that makes Cures. that makes okay. everything all right and i mean with the alternate ending that kind of makes more sense in the sense that he's he's you know not practiced bob marley's message which mm. is ultimately he has to get along with the other species that he now lives among yeah 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 it definitely did it completely flipped this film for me watching it again last night in with that alternate version and it kind of really changed my interpretation of it but we should talk about the dog in it we should sam the dog samantha as we find out towards the end so sam is is well let's talk the first half an hour of this film i would say is almost perfect uh yeah they don't they don't give you too much information there's not loads of exposition there's a little bit of flashback which kind of shows the tragic circumstances of the the outbreak um and obviously that that will smith's wife and and daughter uh, were killed or kind of went down in a helicopter crash yeah which we saw in the credits the daughter who is on screen his daughter marley is actually played by willow smith his actual daughter yeah. he loves bringing his kids in doesn't i know he? i'm not sure if this might be the first example of him getting them in but no I mean... pursuit of happiness was Jaden smith oh was it okay yeah. there we go um yeah so i mean i think it's really good in that they don't there's very little score there's there's no incidental music to begin with which is which is great it ratchets up the tension very oh, God, well. So well. They they do a good bit of world building without kind of, you know, there's no sort of like text on screen to tell you the world's population's been wiped out, etc. You just kind of see it when he opens his fridge door. There's a little, there's a, uh, he's on the front cover of Time magazine with like Saviour and he's drawn a question mark on it. Just little things like that to kind of fill in the gaps as you go. Mm, I think it's really clever filmmaking. And like you say, the first half an hour to 45, to, even to the first hour, I think is is brilliant is 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 a perfect film mm. like you said there's no cast in it apart from him and his dog and he you 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 get what the, what's going on really really quickly he, new york the way they've done that whole like deserted city is so cool it looks mm-hmm. amazing he's driving around at the place and when they're hunting the deer and the dog goes in the dark bit oh it's yeah. so tense and just him him as a character as well like the way he's adapted to life on his own and he now you know he talks to mannequins and his dog as if they're people mm. that um, someone made a good point on imdb that he he what's the word anthropomorphizes mm. his dog so much to give him human characteristics that he's at one point he's scolding Sam the dog for not eating his vegetables forgetting that dogs are carnivores and he's not going to eat the vegetables well like, dogs eat vegetables oh okay well you would know that if you... sure <laughs> if I had a dog yeah um yeah uh so that's really good and also like he's obviously that he's developed harder edges you know a little mm. bit like uh Naomi Harris's character in 28 days later but in a more well-rounded way like yeah. you know he's not sentimental about you know having to kind of shoot deer and you know the way he runs around the way he's kind of 
got his life set up. Mm. Um, also, he's got like a strict kind of uh, regimented like plan for his day structure. And I read that that's because Will Smith, when he was plotting for this role, spoke to some convicts about how they survive in solitary confinement. And they said that one of the most important things for them was to keep a very rigid schedule. Oh. Um, and I mean, again, with the film, there are bits of his schedule that start to go awry. And that's when you know that the kind of the wheels are coming off, obviously, after Sam, the dog, sadly goes full full zombie-ish and gets strangled in his lab. That whole scene is quite long, isn't it? And drawn out when he... So when he he realises that Fred, the mannequin, is, is not where he should be. Mm. And uh, he drives up towards it. And actually, when you re-watch it and you know what's coming, you really do see... You see, this, you see like, the, the taxi, that's, that's like, the counterweight and stuff. And you kind of... You, it's very... You, you, you can... You see what's coming. When Will Smith gets strung up, yeah. Oh, God. So, and then... And from that moment on, from that moment when you know... And only, obviously, as a second and third time viewer... You know that whole long scene where they attack them and the dog and then he goes back to the lab. You just know what's coming and it's so, so tense and it's really Mm. charged, emotional. Yeah. And there's things like, you know, he kind of, I guess he lets emotion get the better of him where he's, he knows what's going to happen to Sam the dog, but he's holding the dog in his arms in the studio, in the studio, in the, uh, in the lab. Um, And you think that's not a sensible decision. You would isolate the dog or you would shoot the dog, but because they're like... That's all he's got, you know. He's 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 losing a, a friend, really. Do you know what? I, uh, you had I, a bit of a cry, didn't you? Oh my god, I was distraught uh, watching this film. If you're remotely emotionally sensitive, it's not okay. I was crying before the dog had even died because I was anticipating the dog having to die. And just like when a dog defends him and like saves his life, <laughs> oh man, and. Um, there's that. It's such a brief fight. Do you know what I was thinking though throughout that whole fight? Mm. There are those three dogs. There's the main bad night night seeker. Yeah. Where is he in all of this? Why doesn't he crack on and get into Will Smith's grill? But it's just the dogs having a fight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. see the man, like you see yeah. the night. Well, I guess the dogs move faster, and they know that Will Smith's going to get in his car, so they send the dogs because they're quicker. I know, the but... men wouldn't have. He would have driven off before the men got there. I think. No. No, 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 that, that fight goes on for a fair few minutes and it's not that far Oh yeah, away. they could have joined in afterwards, yeah, okay. that's true. Just send the dogs in to do their dirty work. Yeah, so I was, I was, yeah, I was teary and I think I, at one point I looked at you and I said, I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, it's alright, the dog will be dead in a minute and then oh, we'll be back, back to... I mean, it does, it, the, the film gets less sentimental as you go on and I think one criticism I've got and also I read a few reviews of this film and the criticism they had is that the CGI is poor. The yeah. creatures Animals. and their sort of extended mouths, they look fake. And some people argued, why couldn't you use people? If if the creatures are supposed to just look like very pale, hairless people, why didn't you use real well, people? When you say creatures, you mean the, the night, night seekers? The night seekers, yeah. Um, and I think one of the reasons they gave was that they did try and use real people, but it looked like Attack of the Mimes, they said. Oh, yeah. um, but I, I think they should have tried that because... Once it's very obvious, and, and it's quite it's quite a very similar look to iRobot as well, I thought, uh, yeah. like in the sort of the humanoid creatures. Once it's obvious it's all CGI, that did make the film feel a little bit more flat to me. Do you know what? I was okay with it. I know what you mean, yeah, the CG isn't very good, and um, 
and like the animals when the, you see like the lions and the deer and stuff that's not very good either but I think I think I'm all right with it like it's it had me in the moment so much that I didn't I didn't care mm-hmm. fun weirdly yeah um, they did do a lot of building up before you saw it and, and there were some quite good bits like when he first approaches the night seekers they're all kind of like convulsing in a huddle yeah. and that's how they sleep I thought Fitness. that was that was very yeah it was mm-hmm. very kind of uh dramatic i think as well if you do compare this to 28 days later which which as we've said before 28 days later kind of defined this genre um i think this is this had me in the moment from the very beginning and it was only one it's only one guy that uh, 28 days later had way more cast but Mm. there are there are similarities oh absolutely but i think 28 days later had had some some bad acting and so it took me out of it really really quickly all the time every time those actors were there i was like oh god here we go and and that came brought me out of it so the zombies in 28 Days Later are arguably better. Oh, yeah, because well, they're real people. But, yeah, they're played yeah, by humans. But I, but I didn't believe them. Whereas in this, the acting is so good and the story, the filmmaking is really, really good and mm. the story is really, really good. Even though the, zomb- the Night Seekers didn't look so good, I kind of didn't care because I was so in, in it. Yeah, them. okay. Yeah. Is that, is, does that make sense? Yeah, that's fair. I just I think it's my only flaw of this film really. Mm. I think it could it would have been a better film had they been rendered a bit more realistically or, you know, just like they had their jaws open so wide right. that it just didn't look like 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 matter could stretch them that way. It was a bit like the mummy in some places, wasn't it? Yeah, a yeah. little bit, little bit. But I do think it's a, it's a, a really great film. Um, and I also like the ending that they didn't find the that we didn't see them find the um, yeah they, they never got, never got and they never got a cure either. You know they never actually developed a cure that worked. Oh no, he cured her. Who did he cure? He cured the girl. No, she was getting better, but she wasn't cured. Well, no, but that was... He was... I mean, he'd been doing trials for years and been getting gradually better results, but he still hadn't arrived at something that would cure it. But I think it's suggestive that he had cured her. Right, but then he chose He chose to give her back instead. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. And reverse it. I guess so. Yeah, it is ambiguous. Yeah. In the origin, in the other one, the first version, he's like take, he, the, the 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 cure is in her blood. The cure. That's what he says to the woman. Oh right. He take gives her. Like a blood sample from the from the from the I see, yeah. And um, and then she takes that to the colony, and the cure is in her blood. Cool. Yeah, that's my. That's, okay. that's how I interpret it. Yeah, I mean, I just thought the alternate ending, the kind of the, whether they, I guess whether they cured it or not, became somewhat irrelevant because they he's he's by giving the girl back, he's kind of implying that they wouldn't be curing people who had it anyway. Well, you have to decide which which version you're watching, though. Yeah, well, I think Ultimate's better mm. because it because of that ambiguity and because they're saying they're almost saying, well, we could cure it, but is that even the right thing to do? He definitely did cure it because he says, "I can cure you, I can cure you, I can I can help you," and he's like, so he's trying to placate them and saying, say "Yeah," that. because he's on the way to a cure. He doesn't have it yet. Oh, all right, bloody hell! And that's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> a little bit of credit. Well, I'm just saying he hasn't he hasn't cured it. Oh, technically, all right. All right. Thank you. Um, so a couple of other things I found out about this film uh, so Francis Lawrence who directed it described it as as having a bit of an AIDS metaphor he said in terms of dealing with the infected they're not dead they're not vampires they have a chronic disease which I thought was quite an insulting thing to say about people with who are HIV positive or have AIDS yeah. to compare them to the creatures in this film I mean I guess you know he's saying it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor on a deeper level but yeah I mean I'm not sure I get that because they're not dead. Is he trying to say, oh, you know, you've just got to try and 
get along with you know like it doesn't I don't know I'm not I'm, I'm, I hope he's been misquoted um, the studio spent five million dollars for a six night shoot in New York City involving the Brooklyn Bridge uh, to film in that location they needed the approval of 14 government agencies um, and they had a crew of 250 a thousand extras and 160 National Guard troops Oh right, is that for the big? Oh, that was must that's have been for, for the, the flashback. Big, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, right. Um, and there's a little nod to uh, the screenwriter on this film, Akiva Goldsman. If you spot, um, I think they must have got their product placement done in the first few minutes of this film when he's driving through Times Square and all mm. the billboards are still running and you still see McDonald's and stuff. And at one point, there's a poster for a Batman Superman crossover saw, film, yeah. and it says five fifteen ten as the date. It's an in joke at the expense of Akiva Goldsman, who's a screenwriter on this film, because uh, he did script rewrites for Batman versus Superman that was supposed to come out in two thousand and two, uh, and then obviously they they kept trying and trying and trying to revive Superman until Superman Returns came out two thousand and six, and then it wasn't until twenty sixteen that Superman and Batman got together. Oh. But they basically put that in as a bit of a joke of like you know he he's tried to make it happen, but it didn't right, it didn't happen. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I did notice that actually. So I think that's it for for I'm Legend, but I thought it's a a a strong blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, in one way, it's it's kind of similar to Inception in that it's a relatively high concept thing that doesn't try too hard to explain itself to like a mainstream audience. You just yeah. have to watch it and get into it. I, I mean, quite like that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's a, it's just about qualifies as a smart blockbuster yeah like you say i mean i think world war z does is a bit more pandering i suppose to the audience and there's a quite a lot of explaining and um there's, there's a lot more of like showing the outbreak and how mm. people being infected whereas this is just like poof, you're in it and you you learn about you learn about it from flashbacks and through news reports and yeah. stuff whereas and I, I quite like that. It doesn't waste a lot of time having I, to explain it. I really love the the way that they had Emma Thompson's scientist on the news in the in the in the pre credits, just saying, you know, they're talking about how she's found this cure for cancer, and they're like, "So you've cured cancer?" She's like, "Yes, yes, we have." And then it's like, boom, black screen. Three years later, mm. the place is desolate. Mm. But also, as I said to you while we were watching it, when Emma Thompson's character is talking about the fact that she has cured cancer that's the second item on the news like what was the thing that was more important on the news than curing cancer that's what i want to know she does say now to doctor yeah it's like they've got her at the end of the news like the skateboarding squirrel or something though and also this woman's cured cancer lol yeah Yeah, no that's a bit silly so there we go that's 2007's i am legend let's talk about your choice for a pet in a pivotal role oh so like i said we i i saw I had a f- quite a few um, films that I could have picked, and I think we watched my film on a Sunday afternoon, and um, and so I think I think the time of day really does affect what I'm going to watch, mm-hmm. what what I pick and stuff. So I went for 1989's uh, absolute classic Turner and Hooch. Of course you did, because it is a classic. Yeah, and I mean. Uh- the pets don't get much more prominent than Hooch in, hey, in this film. I mean, and you at the time argued that Hooch wasn't a pet. Well, I, to be honest, I hadn't seen it for a while and I couldn't entirely remember the plot. Oh. Uh, but it turns out he was someone's pet and then he does become Tom Hanks' Tom's, character's pet. Yeah. I had thought it was a little bit more like, I couldn't remember if he was an existing police dog that he got that Turner got paired with. Well, you'd be easy. I think I might be thinking of K9. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good point. And uh because can you tell me the plot of K9? I can't, but I imagine that K9's relationship to Turner and Hooch is roughly the same as Mac and Me is to ET. Like 
it's it's a cheap similar version that came afterwards K9 is almost exactly the same as Turner and Hooch right and it is Jim Belushi and Jerry Lee is the dog it's the dog is an Alsatian whereas a Hooch is a like a French Mastiff or something and I think it came out like the same year mm. or at least like the following year it was super close both made in 1989 so yeah they were they were basically the same dog made it's the same film made at the same time right and canine is super similar so okay this is this is, this is in the in the finger finger check so okay. check like unruly dog i yep. can't really remember oh yeah so jerry lee is a, is a police dog but no one wants to handle him and um belushi's character like gets him out of a kennel uh, so unwanted police dog partner mm-hmm. one um, dog eats the car too. Yeah. Uh, dog comes into the house and like um, scruffs up the bed and the house and stuff. Mm-hmm. Free the dog gets shot in in right. duty. Yeah. And I think in K nine the dog doesn't die, but obviously in Turner and Hooch, Hooch, Spoiler alert. Hooch is dead. Hooch dies. Hooch dies. But not without leaving his um, offspring that he. Um, Oh yeah, that's the big reveal at the end, the isn't it? Yep, a lovely, a lovely mini hooch for sequels yeah. and things like that. Can we talk a bit about how stressful I found watching this? Oh no, <laughs> it's really? very stressful. Well, for a lot of reasons, as we said before, um, I'm not a massive dog person, but also apparently I found out recently when I was younger I was attacked by a dog, and that is why I'm not such a big dog person. Oh. Also, Hooch is everything I don't like about dogs. Yeah. I know everyone. I know there are a lot of people that love this film. And they're like, he's a lovable mess. Like it's just fun, but I find it so stressful watching his like slobber go everywhere <laughs> and him like gumming at people's throats and like tearing up their equipment and like just jowling all over the place. General jowling. Yeah. Um, and also, I do think there is an element of me. It's a bit like Tom Hanks' character in this, in that I like things quite neat. I like a bit of a. I like to have a bit of a plan. And Hooch is just throws all of that into disarray. Yeah. And so I watch this not a hundred percent as a hilarious buddy cop caper, slightly more as a perfectly reasonable man having his life ruined top to tail. <laughs> well, let's just recap the plot of the film. All so right. we see Scott Turner, who is a local uh, investigator in a very sleepy rural American seaside town. Uh, nothing happens, so he's like, he's getting out of this sleepy rural town, he's moving to the big city for some more exciting work, but his last case is a murder of Amos, who is Hooch's owner. Old guy, lives on like a barge. Kind of like, like a friend of his, isn't he? Yeah, I don't know. And so um, he investigates his murder, and as and as such, Hooch then lives with Turner because he's the only one who he could control him and in Turner's word he's a witness to a crime so then he and Hooch become partners and try and find who murdered Amos and ultimately unravel some um, money laundering I think yep. through like the local fish uh, supplier <laughs> yeah uh, and in between all of this oh what a larks they get up to uh, the fun they had Stand up. So yeah, as as you say, Scott Turner is a very the the opening scene is him like organising his house, cleaning his fridge, all of that stuff. So you 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 get the sense very quickly. He will that he not is. tolerate spilt mustard. I oh. learn I learned that in the first few minutes. Who would? No. Um. And then and then yeah, the dog comes in with him, and it's like an explosion of. Uh, I mean, I do find the bit where he is eating his stereo speaker like that's hard to watch. Yeah. Um. But there is some really funny bits in this when. Um, um, when yeah he does wreck the house great 
uh, when he smashes through the door with his head. Yeah, that's Real. good. Like in The Shining. Um, Brilliant. The the whole dog washing scene, great. Dog eats the car, fine. Uh, I think this film isn't going to go down in the Hall of Fame as great films, but man, it's a good, it's a good like Sunday afternoon dog cop thing. Excellent, a good Sunday afternoon dog cop thing. Yeah. Uh, excellent use of slow motion as well. Oh, in the uh, yeah. in all of the running scenes, yeah. I it's it's quite strange, isn't it, when you watch films from the sort of late eighties, the kind of plots that are that are able to get to like a blockbuster status or like get get a, a wide film release. Because don't you think if this was made now, they would have to think about international markets? They'd be like this little money laundering business idea is not is not big enough stakes. They would yeah. move it to a bigger city. I think it's really nice that something like this became pretty big you know that we're still talking about it 30 years later yeah. and the star tom hanks when it's effectively them rumbling a pretty small time like it's the sort of thing that would only make the front page of a local paper this sure. this, this story yeah, yeah i mean i know it's not really about that it's about it's about turner and hooch's relationship but i like the fact that it's kind of it's just a well-written local crime yeah. rather than them trying to like draw in some big nationwide conspiracy or whatever. Yeah, whereas canine actually is a way... That's a bigger crime. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a point where they're, so they're getting shot at from a helicopter. Like, yeah. that's a big deal. I mean, don't get me wrong, guys. Dogs and people die in this film. I'm not, I I'm not. I don't want to downplay the tragedy here. But, but it's a Disney film, so all death happens off camera. Yeah, it's absolutely PG. Although mm. you do hear a man's throat getting slit off you camera do. at one point. And is... you hear the dog fart. <laughs> you do mm. I mean that's fine that's that's, that's practically required yeah. of a film like this yeah so when I was researching this I did a little digging into Tom Hanks's kind of film career mm-hmm. can you like put a ballpark figure on how many films you think Tom Hanks has been in do you in? know what he's been in loads and yeah. I would say he's done 55 features I think it's like nearly 80 is or it? over 80 wow. it's around that that kind of figure and the, and the only reason I say it's around that is because there's a hell of a long list in front of me here and I can't be bummed to 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 re- count them properly no I did I did kind of count them loosely and it was around 80 wow and yeah so he, his film career started in 1980 he had I think he worked on TV before that so Turner and Hooch was fairly early in his in his kind of film first hit first 10 years of um of career so big was before this the burbs was before this the money pit was before this and he looks quite young in it yeah do you know what i loved about this film you get not one not two but three scenes where tom hanks is just wearing his black pants yep oh my days there's almost more tom hanks in his pants than there is dog into it, so. pound for pound it's in minutes bit, on screen it is a bit gratuitous isn't it like yeah. it's every any scene possible to have him in his pants yeah um but i was into it he has a very tight little bottom <laughs> i don't think there's been an episode of film club yet where you haven't talked about how good looking a good looking actor is well i think it's uh it's well i don't think it's an important part of the film's well, it's, uh, enjoyment it, i guess but... it's quite an important part of this film why? Well, just because it happened so much. Oh yeah, it did happen a lot. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's also maybe a symptom, like a, 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 a recurring thing of films that I pick because they're older. <laughs> and I think in the nineties uh, and early two thousands, I think people did rely on those kinds of uh, mm-hmm. like easy wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low hanging fruit. Yeah. You can see his low hanging fruit in uh, quite a lot of this can. film. You can. You get a lot of like scrote shots. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first and last time I'd ever want to hear the phrase scrote shots. You do though. You get you see a lot of his um in pants, obviously. Yeah, sure. It's a PG, it's a Disney film. I know. 
Yeah, that's why I'm seeing it. Yeah. It's surprising. It is surprising. Um, I mean, let's not get into it now, but at some point I think we might have to put Tom Hanks in the jar as a category. Uh, and trying to pick Tom Hanks's finest hour, I genuinely think will be a lot more oh. difficult than... Well, more difficult even than Killian Murphy, which we didn't manage to do, and certainly more well, difficult than Will Smith, because I think I Am Legend is probably Will Smith's finest hour. Well, just because um, Tom Hanks has got so many films, I think it was really going to be really challenging. But the top top couple that I'm thinking of are Forrest Gump, uh huh, and um, Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Castaway. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably do a whole episode about it. Sorry, just talking about it now. <laughs> I would. Uh, I'd probably. Hollow. I'd throw Toy Stories in. So, fun fact: I learned that there was a line in this film that they used as a test for Woody. Oh right. Toy Story. Yeah. That's cool. So, Toy Story was made in 1995, and this was 89. So, this mm-hmm. would have been yeah, just probably. I think. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to make a Pixar film, but I imagine quite a few years. So. Doesn't it seem crazy that, that this film and Toy Story are only six years apart? I know. It Toy feels Story. like a completely different era of filmmaking. Yeah, Toy Story is really old. Mm. I mean, obviously, there's four of them now, but he still, you know, it's, it doesn't. It, again, it's kind of quite ageless, isn't it? Toy yeah, I guess Story. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and this is obviously before his sleeps in Seattle. So I've got a couple of bits of fun trivia about Turner and Hooch. Um, yeah, so there's a, te- there's a line where he um, tells Hooch not to eat the car. That was used in test footage for Toy Story. When um, he saw the test footage, it convinced him to take the role of Sheriff, the Wo- Sheriff Woody. Sorry. Cool. Um, Bill, so uh, there were three other people who were all considered for the role of Turner. Jack Nicholson, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. I would gladly have watched any of those combos. Do you know what I get? Jack, um, I get Bill Murray and um, Jim Belushi mixed up a lot. They Dude. look, they looked in the nineties super similar, don't you think? Well, and I mean, it's surprising Jim Belushi wasn't up for this since he basically made it with K nine straight afterwards. Yeah, Dudley Moore turned down the role, t- turned down the Turner role. Mm. Um, so yeah, it kind of. It was... <laughs> I'm glad he specified. I thought Dudley Moore was going to play Hooch at <laughs> one point. Role. No, so there were um, so th- there was one main dog, but he did have some stunt doubles okay. as well. Oh yeah, we were quite surprised when we saw the credits roll, and it was just there was just one dog playing hooch. Yeah, but uh, maybe it's just that dog extras don't get and don't they don't, don't get, get, na- get, they don't get named. No. <laughs> Do you think it works the same with like um, equity? If you're a dog and you've got the same name as another dog, you have to change your name. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, but. Um, yeah, having worked with dogs on set, uh, just having one dog to do all of this film would have been really, really difficult. Because you'd have like different dogs doing, having different specialties, I suppose. And isn't it the case, you said that dogs, uh, when you're shooting them for ads and things like that, you can only use them for a certain amount of time because they, they just, they don't behave and they get sleepy. And so don't you sometimes get a whole bunch of similar looking dogs and just swap them out like you do with babies and things so that is the case if you're shooting with puppies ah puppies i did a shoot with puppies before and uh they were very very little and they would just fall asleep and then you just like swap in next puppy and then that puppy would shoot until they'd fall asleep and it was just this little conveyor belt of puppies you're paying an absolute dream job picture here basically people looking watching puppies till they fall asleep and then bringing in a fresh well it's kind of annoying when you really need to you need to get a shot of them you know looking alert and mm-hmm. like they're not falling asleep um so so yeah i can see why they had they I'd, i would be really surprised if they only had one dog mm-hmm. for this whole shoot um so i think turner and hooch is still good 
Yeah. It's not as good as I'm Legend. So I will absolutely concede that I think I'm Legend <laughs> is the better film. I'm happy to chuckle at the idea of even stacking these films up against each other because they're so different. They're so different. And and I had I mean I like last night when we watched I'm Legend. Oh my god, I was crying. Mm. So I the whereas I didn't cry when Hooch died. Um sorry Hooch, but I think so I think I I think I'm Legend the connection with Sam the dog mm. in terms of like this category being about pet is stronger. Yeah. And I th- I find the that when I watch blockbusters now, like things that are released in sort of 2019, 2020, I don't feel feelings much for them. You know, like I watch Avengers Endgame, it's great, but I'm not I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling feeling I'm not feeling empathy for any of these characters. Can't, I mean Star Wars maybe a little bit, but I feel like I Am Legend is kind of is one of the last few examples of blockbusters where I think they really they use the sound, they use the dialogue to really make you feel mm. the experience. And I feel like now they've got too broad an audience to cater for. They've got too many people to keep happy. Mm. Um, that they're not. I mean, you, there are some choices in I'm Legend I would describe as relatively brave for a film that big that you need that many people to see it. To have, you know, just one human on well, screen for the first hour. To have it, it well, the alternate ending certainly is, 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 is brave mm-hmm. for people who've sat there through two hours a lot of people expecting a straightforward kind of zombie film mm. to then tell them at the end that what what they need is to have some empathy and understanding for the zombies mm. is quite a tall order. So I think that's really brave and that's why I like I Am Legend. Mm. So I think it does... There's so much spectacle to it. There's a lot of action. There's a bit of horror. It's very tense. It's a great blockbuster, but it also could have been much more straightforward. And I'm glad yeah. that it isn't. They made very clear choices to keep it challenging, and I really, do, I really like it for that. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, for a two thousand seven film, which, which, if if you were to watch other films from two thousand seven, I don't, this one stands up so well, mm. and I think I hope and think it will for a lot, many more years to come, and I think it it it's proof of a really good apocalyptic zombie. I don't even think it's a zombie film, but I think that's the only yeah. thing it can be compared to because they're kind of like undead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's up there with it's like top top three defo zombie films, if not the best zombie film. Yeah, yeah, I think it's up there for sure. We I wonder if zombie films are category because um, that's not a very big pot. No, I don't think we've got zombie films in the jar. Could be added in future, but I mean we've done Twenty Eight Days Later, we've done I Am Legend. There are obviously there are loads of others, but you know that might be quite a mm. quite a tight field to pick from these Tough days. One, hmm. Um, so should we talk a little bit about box office? Yes. So, uh, I Am Legend had an IMDb rating of 7.2, oh, which I think is fair if, is if fair. a bit low, perhaps. Uh, the budget was an estimated $150 million. Uh, opening weekend, it made half of that back, $77 million. Uh, and the cumulative worldwide gross is $585 billion. Million, sorry. $585 million. Half billion, a, million. Half a billion, isn't it? Yeah, half a billion. As I thought. Really? Well, I mean, that's that's the budget back four times over, roughly. I guess um, so. Yeah. I don't know. I just would have expected it to have been a bit more of a, a commercial hit than that. Maybe it did suffer um, from being too challenging. Maybe yeah. what we like about it turned other people off. I don't know. But I mean, that's that's still a smash hit. Um, yeah. Although they ne- obviously they didn't make a sequel, but I'm quite glad because it's not the kind of film that it wouldn't suit it. I agree. Them arriving at an outpost and then having to do all this again. Yeah. If I had to see that, that that scene again, where they arrive at an outpost, there's a big metal gate. I, I don't know. I've seen that in 
World War Z, I've seen that in 28 Days Later, Zombieland. I, I just it's, it, I just can imagine it yeah. all and I just don't think there's any story there. Tear down the walls, you're saying. <laughs> Political. Um, Turner and Hooch, uh, by comparison, got 6.2, which I think is harsh. That it, isn't very I, low. It, it, it's not a critic's film, but it's certainly for the people. Yeah. Um, and it's just fun, you know. It is fun. Uh, the budget was 13 million, so less than, that's about 8% of I Am Legend, yeah. which is understandable. Uh, opening weekend, uh, it took 12 million back, so it nearly made its entire budget straight away. Uh, and cumulative worldwide, it's made 71 million, which seems low, but I think in, 80, in 1989, yeah. that's still a hit. That is a hit, yeah. I mean, I remember it as being a massive deal, but I think maybe that's because it was a film pitched at kids when I was a kid. I was yeah. seven when this came out. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I've actually got a list of the top grossing films with am- about animals. Okay. So it's not necessarily pets. So do you want to try and guess what the top three are? Oh, I genuinely... Jaws? These defo one about okay. pets. I'm gonna, so... Oh, these are pets? Or, no. Oh, I'm going to say Jaws is in there somewhere. Jaws is not in the top 15. Are we classing dinosaurs as animals for the purposes uh, of this? Yes, I believe you are. Jurassic Park, then? That is not in the top 15. Really? Yeah. I think you're going to have to help me out, then. So, in third place is Free Willy. Wow. Yeah. I went to see that at the cinema. Did you? Yeah, with my girlfriend, my then-girlfriend. Hurtful. What was her name? Don't tell her name, actually. I won't say her name. She did make me a cake, though, which is very nice. What for? Heart-shaped cake, because it's Valentine's Day. How old are you? When did it come out? Does it say there? 93. Yeah, so 11. And she made you a heart-shaped cake. Romance. I don't even want to... Uh, let's not un- un- unpack this right now. <laughs> You're disgusted at romance. Much. You had a girlfriend when you were 11. You never take me to see Free Willy. Oh, well, I'll make you plenty of cakes. Oh, that's shape. true, you do make me cakes. All right. I disagree with Free Willy now. I would never watch it again. I think I find it too disturbing. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, post In a post-Sea World era. Post-Blackfish era, yeah. yeah. sure. Okay, so keep going. Number Second two. Second place is King Kong, 2005 version. Right. Yeah, that made 218 million. Sorry, Free Willy made 77 million. Okay, and according to this chart, the biggest animal film of all time is... Babe. Wow. I know, that made 254 million. I don't know when this was dated. So, yeah, um, I feel like the. Well, I guess it depends on your definition of what makes an animal film, doesn't it? But, wow. Yeah. So, other, other things to note in here are um, Free, Willy 2, Free Willy 2 is in top 10. Mm-hmm. Fly Away Home is in here. Oh, yeah. Flipper. This seems like quite an old list. I don't well, think this has been up. This hasn't been dusted off for a while, has it? They've got films from the oldest film in here is two thousand six. So um, obviously doesn't include I Am Legend, but it would definitely have included um, uh, Turner and Hooch. Uh huh. Top grossing dog films are Scooby Doo, <laughs> Marley and Me, and One Hundred and One Dalmatians. Yeah, that's fair yeah. and I guess fairly easy to guess. K nine is in there. K nine is fourteen. Is K nine? Turner high? and Hooch is ninth. Yeah. That's justice, Turner and Hooch beating K9. Top 10 dog film. Okay, so that's our, our favourite films with Pet in a Pivotal Role. Um, we'd love to hear your choices and also what you thought of uh, of Turner and Hooch and I Am Legend. One other thing with I Am Legend, that title really puts me off. Why? I just don't like it. I don't think it suits the film very well. I know it's probably the title of the, the book, but I Am Legend, like, to be a, you know, surely to be a legend you have to be remembered by mm. survivors it's not that kind of film also anything that's called that sort of thing just makes me think that it's a film that's been made for like Gary Lagers to go down the multiplex to like you know like 300 was that kind of film a little bit and like 
just it just sounds like a real like macho thing and i don't think it's that kind of film yeah but you know what i always really liked about i'm legend is the the copy the way they did the topography of i'm legend how it was in like a a triangle shape and the the word the the word legend uh, really spaced out i just thought it was really pleasing that's true they designed it very well (laughs) i like to sometimes deliberately misread it and imagine that it's a film about a man called ian legend Anyway, um, so yeah, do let us know your your uh, your choices, what you would have picked for a film with a pet in a pivotal role. Yeah. Uh, the email address is filmclubpod at gmail.com or with filmclubpoduk on Twitter. Um, we've also, I'll just do a little quick rattle of the film club. You might be able to hear that. That's the jar that we pick our categories from. Um, we're looking to put some new categories in it and we'll happily take suggestions from you. So if you have a category you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, uh, drop it to us, filmclubpod at gmail.com or on Twitter it's filmclubpod.com. UK. Uh, but for now, time to pick the next category. Okay. Can't remember whose turn it is, so I think you should pick it. Oh, thanks. Here we go. Oh, great. What a satisfying pop. Great pop. Oh, I've got two. Oh, Sugar. You're going to have to drop one. one. What have you got? Let's have a look. <gasps> Film with. Oh, shh, don't say it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, this is could be. Well, this might lead us into biopic territory, yeah, perhaps, I reckon. this category. Yeah. Um, Nothing springs to mind. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I think this category could span quite a lot of different kinds of films yeah, as well. Yeah, I think you're right. That's gonna um, be quite interesting. Yeah, because it's. I think the categories we've had so far have been quite um, mainstream. Yeah. So it'd be nice to do something a little bit more niche. This could this could definitely see us branch out a little bit next week. True. Super. Uh, so um, oh, this will be going up. Or this episode's going up on New Year's Day, twenty twenty. So happy New Year if you're Aww. listening promptly. And if not, I just hope you've had a great year so far. I mean, Turner and Hooch and uh, I'm Legend a great New Year's Day. What if you're listening to this New Year's Day morning? Why not pop on Turner and Hooch? Where do we get them from as well? Amazon. We, yeah, we got that. Yeah, we got that both from Amazon. We rented They're both, both on Amazon Prime. That's another thing we probably should mention more often. Is that uh, one of the rules of film club for us is that you have to find each film for less than four pounds the idea is this is a cheap night in and it's cheaper than going to the cinema uh, so yeah we'll try and let you know where we found our films on future episodes as well uh, so we'll see you next week to tackle this uh, this new mystery category um, thanks very much for listening to film club and goodbye bye gorgeous theme music is written and performed by Tom Rosenfeld and Joe Silverstone. Uh, if you want to find out more about them and the many great bands they're in, including Mesodorm, The Spindle Ensemble and Our Man in the Field, you can go to Tom's Instagram at instagram.com slash four vertical, the number four and the word vertical, or instagram.com slash Joe Silvercello. That's J-O Silvercello.